Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Little Something Gay. Y'all, I cannot wait to get into this episode. It's going to be such a good one. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, the one, the only, Freddie. Hi. Hi, Freddie. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited. I love podcasts, but I have never been on one, so it's my first time. Oh, you're a virgin. I'm a virgin. We'll be gentle, don't worry. (laughs) Freddie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like I should mention how we know each other. So I know you through your sister, Kim, who I met when I moved to Los Angeles in July. So we Mm -hmm. were living in the same building. And um, prior to moving to Los Angeles, I was living in Pittsburgh for five years. Um, and I grew up in Rhode Island, and I am also trans. So, <gasps> surprise. I love it. I have been out for like a, a little over a year now, and it's been a party, it's been a good time, but it's also wild because it's been all during quarantine, essentially. Right, I guess I should have asked, uh, I normally ask my guests, how do you identify? I identify as like trans non-binary, so I feel like saying trans man is a little bit strong on the man for me. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm definitely like in the non-binary family, but I refer to myself as trans because I do have like I am on T and I identify more so with like a man than anything else. So you are living in LA. What inspired you to make the leap out west? So I don't really like the cold. That was number one. I mean, I always grew up with seasons and snow, but I just have never liked it. So I really wanted to experience year-round sunshine, which so far has been great. Like, I love that it's March now, and it's like 75 degrees outside here in Los Angeles and sunny. So that's fantastic. Amazing. But it was also kind of, I guess, like a career life choice as well, because I went... When I was in Pittsburgh, I was there for school, so I went there for acting, Um, and I still really enjoy that, and, like, I have plans to pursue it in different ways, like in film and TV, but something that I also really love is doing hair, so I knew that the market and the training in Los Angeles would be more aligned with what I want to do, so I came out to L.A. because I wanted to get my license in doing hair, and also like test the waters as far as film and TV go and all that fun stuff. Amazing. How are you liking it? The the industry side anyway? I really like it. I definitely think my gut feeling was right about waiting to get my Cosmo and Barber license until I got out here. Mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot of cool things and there's so many different perspectives that I'm getting to um, hear from where I'm training. I'm at Paul Mitchell in Sherman Oaks and it's really nice. I've had the opportunity as well to work on a lot of my friends, um, your sister included, who have been so kind and trusting and letting me um, do things for them and their look and so far so good. That's lovely. I love that. Following your dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long have you been modeling? I was modeling, I started, I think it was like October of probably 2016. Okay, for a while. Yeah, for a while. I 
got into it in Pittsburgh because actually there, there are a lot of photographers who are really trying to build their portfolio and discover what, what their aesthetic, what their look is for their work. So I was fortunate to work with a lot of those people um, kind of like exploring their path. And I am starting to kind of get into it again. I stopped because I was working a lot after college to save money because that's you kind of spiral once you graduate and you're like, what do I do? So I got a bunch of different jobs and I was doing that all the time. But I'm, I might start doing it again a little bit and explore that more because, like, I mean, that's the great thing about L.A. is you can engage in a bunch of different creative interests because there's so many different creatives here who are available to work with. So that's been a really nice um, thing that I kind of hoped would be true in L.A. and I'm finding it to be true. Who are some artists or um, other models that you are inspired by? So there's quite a few. I mean, <laughs> off the top of my head, there's my trans family. So like Hunter Schaefer, who's in Euphoria, she started as a, as a model and she continues to model. And the work that she does is just gorgeous. So there's people like Mads Page, who does a bunch of work for different brands, um, including Paul Mitchell. And they have been like a really strong representation as far as non-binary models go. Same idea as like Richie Phoenix, um, who's another one. And I mean, oh, India, India Moore from, what's it called? Pose. Mm. She is another trans woman who started as a model. I definitely look up to a lot of like non-binary trans models as well because so many of them kind of like walk that line of representing different brands and um, regardless of what that brand is and who they're, what demographic they're selling to. Right. So that was a little long-winded, but I wanted to make sure I was getting people's names right. <laughs> I love it. No, please be as long-winded as you like. Okay, I will. We got all the time in the world. <laughs> uh, I'm dying to know, who was your celebrity crush as a child? My celebrity crush as a child... Um, I feel like it's it's kind of expected. Like, who didn't... I, Britney Spears was my number one. Obviously. I had, like, a, a little boombox with um, cassette tapes that you could put in and sing along for karaoke. And then Hilary Duff. Oh, of course. Yes. Those two are the first ones that come to mind, for sure. And then, like, Kira Knightley, once I saw Pirates of the Caribbean. And Orlando Bloom. I mean, I can't can't deny it. Of course. I mean, he's a very attractive man. That movie really did it. <laughs> Worlds collided in that movie for you, didn't it? <laughs> Truly. <laughs> so you have mentioned that you are a trans person. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that. You are the first trans person I've had on this podcast. The first of many, I hope. Um, can, you, can you tell me just a little bit more about your journey uh, discovering your, your trans identity? For sure. And I think it also kind of not explains, but in a way, like my own journey elaborates on why I identify as like trans non-binary non now. My journey wasn't one that I guess you would expect really, because and neither did my family. So I um, have, I was always like a really girly girl, like as a kid. So my interests have stayed the same. So I love like hair, makeup, costumes, all that fun stuff. You know, I'm into acting. I'm currently getting my cosmetology license. So all those things have stayed true as far as my interests. And the way they manifested as a kid was very typical of a little girl. 
So doing like hair, makeup, and dress up, and being really into performing and dancing and all of that felt very uh, cisgendered is the word I'm going to use, which if nobody knows what cisgendered means, it means uh, whatever the doctor says you are at birth, you identify as that, and you feel like it is true to you. So I was presenting really feminine and I was engaging in things people expected little girls to engage in um, but I I mean I guess in some ways like I I have a brother and a sister and I really really looked up to my older brother so rather than kind of trying to be like my sister which I guess you would expect from a little girl I was trying to be like my brother like I would join the t-ball team and I was the only girl on the t-ball team I was very bad at it. I've, sports like that are not for me. I have no hand-eye coordination. It's really sad. But I tried it. And I also would, like, sword fight with him. And I wanted to watch the same movies. And I just, I was his little shadow. Like, I wanted to be, like, my brother. And um, he was also really into acting. So that's kind of, I already had a knack for being performative. That wasn't a secret. <laughs> um, I was a pretty boisterous kid. But seeing that it was actually, like, a thing that people could do, and not only people, but kids could do, because he was engaging in acting a lot as we were growing up was really exciting for me. So yeah. my interests and like my presentation as a kid, as far as gender goes, wasn't anything that would have like alluded to the fact that I could be trans to anyone around me. Right. As I was growing up, there were like little things that I would notice were different about me in comparison to other girls. For one, I don't think I really created, and I mean, to be fair, like as you're growing up, you do try on different identities. So I'm not saying that's, that means someone's trans. And there was no like thought process in the sense that in my mind, I was thinking I have to be like a girl or anything of that nature. It was more so just, I didn't know how to form my own identity outside of my social circle mm. and that was anything from ways of speaking to ways of dressing and a lot of the time it was often derived from girls that I had like crushes on and I mean that also feeds into the fact that I, I am also bisexual so I at the time being a little girl started developing crushes on my friends which was alarming to me because I didn't identify them as that. I just thought I really, really like this person and I want to be around them all the time. So that started to cause some rifts like in my own social journey through middle school and high school because there were, I mean, it was just kind of like a feeling like people started to pick up on the fact that maybe I was queer even before I did because there were little things said here and there that alluded to the fact that I like liked the girls around me or whatever, but I didn't understand it. All of this didn't really point to being trans. It probably felt like it pointed more toward being gay. And that's definitely how I took it once I got older. I was like, maybe I'm gay, maybe I'm bisexual. That's been a whole journey. I feel like we often, if you're not like super sure about it, you kind of play with where you might fit in in the queer community. So once I got to high school, it was like, I found a community that I could engage in more androgyny in 
I could wear things like jeans and a flannel and a t-shirt and sneakers and I could cut my hair off or I could wear it up and tied back all the time and like nobody gave two thoughts about it because that was very much the scene that I was in. I was going to like, <laughs> it sounds wild, but I was like going to a dive bar that was also a concert venue at 16 to 18. Yeah. Yeah, and hanging around with a lot of, like, grungy kids and young adults. And so we all sort of dressed and looked the same regardless of what your gender was. And also my main friend group later half of high school was mainly boys. So I felt like I didn't necessarily see it as a gender thing, but I just felt really comfortable in that circle. Yeah. And it still persisted that girls made me nervous, like in social situations, in, in the sense that I didn't really understand the social script when it came to girl world, which there's a lot of scripts, I would say, um, that you kind of learn, and I just was not catching on. And um, I still have like very close female friends, and those are the people that I was able to really connect to, but having like what some might saw, call like a clique of girls or like, a group of girlfriends, like a sorority or anything like that, was just not my not my lane. Mm -hmm. I really found that kinship with the boys. So once I got to college, I was in performing arts conservatory. Oh, nice. So it becomes very queer, very open, and kind of explorative. Um, and I, <laughs> I had started my journey with hair a little bit earlier, so I had kind of... Uh, killed my hair via coloring processes um, as a teen. So once I got to college, it was it really needed to just all be chopped off, which I did. And luckily, I had been wanting to cut my hair off again, um, which I had first done as a sophomore in high school. That was kind of the start of it. So it was maybe just two weeks into college, and I cut all my hair off, and I was like, great. And then I met somebody who was my first serious relationship, who um, actually ended up transitioning himself. So oh, wow. um, we were together for about a year and a half. And during that time was when I really started exploring gender a little bit more. And I started getting like a vocabulary for it. So this is around 2015, 2016. And I would say we've made a ton of strides as far as like having language to describe gender in various ways and communicate that to each other but at that time it was not in the zeitgeist it wasn't talked about on the news as much i mean i think maybe the issue of like trans people being inside of bathrooms had just come to the forefront pretty recently because i can remember my partner at the time experiencing a lot of animosity from men in men's rooms who were suddenly aware that there could be a trans person around them and clocked mm. that's a Clocking is a term that we use for um, cis people knowing you're trans without you telling them. Um, and often acting on that knowledge. Like people would clock him in the, in the bathroom, which was disturbing. Um, yeah. and, but it, it was, again, something nobody had really started talking about, much less started working into legislation or anything like that. I also went on like a YouTube deep dive of this trans guy who's very well known. Um, his name is Aiden Dowling and he was like- Oh yeah. Yeah, he was like the first trans man on Men's Health. I've had the opportunity to, to meet him. He's so sweet. Oh wow. Yeah, he's- I'm a huge fan of him. 
He's so nice. Um, just a really positive person, and his family is so sweet, and they just seem like really good people. I, yeah, I had gone on like a YouTube deep dive on him and found him really fascinating, but nothing clicked. Then again, I got into this relationship eventually, started exploring, and throughout college, I still kind of did that thing where I would adopt different identities from those close to me. And during that relationship, oftentimes if I was more masculine presenting, let's say, um, my partner who was transitioning sometimes didn't like that because um, the way people perceived us was different in public and he didn't quote unquote pass as well. It's kind of like a, a term that passing is sort of hard because not every trans person wants to be like a binary trans person. So mm -hmm. it's sort of fallen out of favor with the community, but I'm going to use it because at the time it was applicable. And so I feminized myself a lot more to kind of make that dynamic work a little better, which I'm not saying you should do and I'm not saying it was right, but that was how we found a little bit more peace. And I really played with like makeup and really feminine looks and that was all super fun but the best way I can describe it is like while I would do that for a photo shoot it feels like drag so for me I can really enjoy rocking like uh, uh, heels and a skirt and a blouse and makeup and all that but ultimately like I don't really want to be in it for more than an hour or two because it feels like a costume to me and it always has and that didn't really click because I hadn't allowed myself to just live kind of as I do now in more of a masculine presentation where that is the expected norm for me. I still have a lot of love for myself as the past. The way I kind of describe it as well is not only did it feel like drag, but it also kind of feels like a twin. Like that person feels like a separate person from me, but still mm -hmm. very much of me. So mm. kind of like an identical twin, but just totally different ways of, and I keep saying this, but it really f feels more like it, like moving through the world, how you decide to get up every day and get dressed. Um, your personality isn't different. Like I'm still very much exactly the same person. I just don't look the way I did. And also I feel more comfortable having slightly lower voice and you know, being able to shop in the men's section without people saying shit to me. I don't know if I can swear on here. Um, of course, please. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I would say it was never something really expected. It's not kind of like a lot of more binary trans people that you might hear about in the news. It wasn't that for me. I really played with gender for a long time. Like I would steal my brother's clothes and my dad's clothes in high school and I felt really comfortable in it. But my mom is a super traditional person and she was like, you're such a pretty girl. What are you doing? Why are you trying to dress like a boy? So I was like, you know, you're right. And I then kept playing with different identities. And um, eventually I started realizing button ups and like Chelsea boots and jeans and all that felt really good. And I said, you know, what would feel better was if I was perceived more often as a guy. So that's kind of what switched for me and it wasn't an easy journey either it wasn't like a moment where I had an epiphany and I was like perfect let's do this I was having a really 
hard time right before I came out and I was it was like January of 2020 and there was one night that like I was I got home and I had been drinking and I made myself a video on my phone and it was like just so you know you're trans so now I'm telling you as drunk you <laughs> Like, I have my, my drunk alter ego telling me who I am, and I can't even talk about it when I'm sober. So that was a really important moment, and I'm really glad I made that video because there was really no skirting it anymore. So that was kind of the progression of my personal journey, and that's what I think is kind of important is people need to know, like, not all trans people know from the time they're little. And it might not always, like, trans people don't all look the same just like any other group of people like it's not a homogenous thing it's really interesting because we see so much when when we do see trans people in the media and on television we definitely see them a lot of them are very much on the binary so it's really nice to hear and and there are other there are a lot of celebrities especially within you know drag race canon that are saying we like to play more on the spectrum of of non-binary where you can be a little more female presenting or be a little more male presenting and i think it is it's so important to have exposure like that to show people you don't have you know it it doesn't always you're right it doesn't everyone's story is different it doesn't always start from the very beginning sometimes it is a journey that you have to really discover and i didn't know this about you and it's so fascinating to to hear your take on just your life and how you discovered this and how you really just worked through so much of not only just gender identity, but sexuality and how, kind of how you were feeling. And that's so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's definitely not like a, a straight line. You take a lot of twists and turns. And I think that I like... I like calling it a journey because it really is a journey. I mean, I think every person, regardless of who you are and how you identify, goes through some sort of self-discovery. Mm -hmm. Whether it's career, uh, sexuality, gender, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, you just, there are things you learn about yourself over time, and I feel like I'm really fortunate to be alive in a time when I was around as a vocabulary was created because I'm honestly not sure I would have gotten there had I not known that it was an option for me. I was, you know, if I was born in the 1940s, let's say, there were still trans people often living within the queer community in different ways. I mean, you see a lot of trans people who sometimes have been referred to as, you know, butch lesbians or whatever. Um, I say butch lesbians because, like, that's there's some history there that I'm aware of. Uh, but also there's obviously drag queens who have been referred to only as drag queens who were actually trans women. You know, that makes me sad. Like, I, I have a lot of admiration for all those people throughout history who have lived authentically um, and maybe not out but visibly. Um, and I always wonder, honestly, like, if I would have had the same, the same bravery they have, um, sometimes people will say to me, oh, you're so brave right now, and I'm like, I'm not that brave, 
Like, I'm really lucky that I'm alive right now in this time when people can even talk about it. Like, I can say to a random person, I'm trans, and most people are going to know what I'm saying. I, yeah, I think it, it was a complicated sussing out for me and uh, definitely supportive by the time and place we're in right now. Yeah. What was your coming out like? My coming out was... Well, let me ask you this. Did you did you come out as as bisexual before you came out as trans, or did it all kind of come out together? Oh, yeah. No, I came out as uh, bisexual, like, when I was 18, once I got to college. I came out to a few friends before I left for college, um, probably. And honestly, a lot of my friends already knew without me even telling them, and it, before I even maybe put words to it. Um, cause I had a lot of people say, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we done been new. Right. And then for a while in college, after the first relationship that I had ended, I actually identified as a lesbian for a while and I just sort of was, lived as a butch lesbian. And I still feel very fortunate cause I have a lot of non-binary lesbians and cis lesbians in my life who are very important to me, who have accepted and loved me and still considered me a part of the community regardless of the fact that I'm on testosterone mm. and that's been really nice um and I think we're going to get to this but there's there's still a lot of like transphobia within the queer community as well so <laughs> I lived as a butch lesbian for a while and I made a lot of wonderful connections during that time so when I did eventually come out as trans nobody was that surprised necessarily and by that point I mean like I said it was January 2020 so like things were on the uptick of having more knowledge about it so and there were a lot more people within the lesbian and queer community in general that were coming out as non-binary or trans but still identifying as like feeling closest to you know the lesbian group or the gay community or whatever you know they were a part of before and so I started T January 10th, 2020. Oh, wow. So things only started really changing once I was in quarantine and I was by myself. So I felt like a little bit, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like a butterfly because I was totally alone in my little cocoon in my apartment by myself um, from like March to June. And by the time I emerged in June, <laughs> I, I looked different, I sounded different. And also, the reason that I went back to identifying closer with bisexuality, and often I'll just call myself queer, so it's easy to understand. The reason I like feel more close to bisexuality again is there's kind of a phenomenon that I don't think people have really figured out how to explain, because there's not a ton of research on trans bodies and... Um, and the ways in which hormone therapy affects us, although there's a lot of misconceptions about it. One of the things that has been kind of spoken on by a lot of people who go on testosterone is there's like a sudden interest in like men again. And that has been reported on multiple scenarios. And I kind of experienced that as well. Like I have always had a great appreciation for men and have been able to be really close to them and everything and like I can find them attractive but like I didn't seriously find them attractive again until I was on testosterone uh -huh. 
I honestly don't know if it's like a thing of you don't really know where you fit in. So if you are bisexual, but you feel closer to the lesbian community, you might suppress like some of that bisexuality if like you feel comfortable enough being whoever you are in, in that space. Um, it could be that. It could also be like a hormonal thing. That's the thing we don't really know. How interesting. Yeah, it's really really interesting they might have identified as a lesbian and like i still love women and non-binary people and oftentimes like i'll date them more seriously just because there's a comfort level there that i don't have with men but i suddenly had like a newfound appreciation <laughs> for men and um started engaging in the gay community a little bit more and like got a grinder and all that so it's it's really interesting kind of my journey with my sexuality because it has been influenced also by my journey as a trans person so i uh. came out as like queer identifying sexually in 2018 and then i've lived out since then um as a few different ways and then um came out as trans in january 2020 so like two years later oh sorry no it wouldn't have been 2018 i would have no not two years i came out in uh 2015. That's when I got to college. I graduated in 2018. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. <laughs> it's okay. Numbers are hard. <laughs> numbers are hard. I didn't go to school for math. Me neither. No. <laughs> you sort of touched on this, and I would love to to kind of go a little deeper on this. Uh, sort of the infighting within the community, the queer community. There is a lot of that. Not just with with maybe, say, gay men fighting with other gay men, but, you know, there's gay men that are transphobic. Uh, have you found that you've received a lot of maybe, let's say, negativity from the queer community? I Luckily, I personally haven't received a lot of negativity per se, put an asterisk on that. I've been very fortunate with the people I surround myself with. Hmm. There's, there's a huge issue in general, I would say, with both the gay community and the lesbian community surrounding trans people because it's not just gay men and there's also a lot of lesbians who I think sometimes feel protective over the already existing fluidity within the lesbian community because we have all these different like subcategories of like different kinds of femmes different kinds of butches um, like crossovers of those so there was already that fluidity of presentation and so then I guess like the outside existence of like the trans community, which still is involved in all these communities anyway, is sometimes seen as more threatening, and it shouldn't be because we've already existed around each other. It's kind of like the bathrooms. Like you've always been tr peeing next to a trans person, you just didn't know it. Same idea is like suddenly because trans people are calling themselves certain things, but still identifying within certain communities, that's where a lot of negativity comes from. So, like, I am seeing someone right now who closely identifies with lesbians, is non-binary themselves, and, like, we joke all the time about things that have to do with lesbian culture, and we share a lot of that knowledge, and so, while I don't necessarily call myself a lesbian, I still feel very close or adjacent to them. My experience with gay men so far has honestly been more so that they are more... So whereas I think lesbians can be more exclusionary, I think gay men, at least in respect to trans men, aren't as exclusionary necessarily. They're more fetishizing. So that's a lot of what I've experienced of like extreme interest in what's under my clothes. 
like in public um especially i've only experienced gay men like feeling me up out of nowhere like i'll be watching a drag show they'll just come up and like feel me up all over to and and they'll say things like what do you have and i'm like it's not your business because i haven't even said hello to you don't get me wrong, a hookup in a random bar has always been fun, but like, it's totally different when someone is not e even, isn't even aware that you're in their space and suddenly you need to know what's under their clothes. And, and they'll ask me point blank, so even if they don't go the physical route, I might just be getting to know them and they'll ask me, you know, what's in your pants? And I'm like, okay, well, you don't even know that I want to sleep with you in the first place. <laughs> You're like, what's in these pants is going out the door because I'm done. Exactly. It's my legs and they're walking away. And I mean, it's a little different on Grindr because obviously Grindr has an expectation to it. It's very much a hookup. App. What? What? Has, this whole time? Have I been misreading the signs? So that's been an experience too because there's some people who are genuinely interested in having a, having an experience with a trans person but not being weird about it like they'll still be respectful and those people i totally vibe with however there are men who like i've had a guy like start filming me while we're hooking up um which i know can make a buck on porn sites and stuff because there's a huge uh niche for that other guys who have like there's like the concept around like breeding and it's it's also applied to trans men a lot of the time, where they just straight up wanna like use your body more so. And then there's other guys um, who want to have like hooking up with you be their first time not hooking up with a cis guy. Ah. So they might be like someone who's never even slept with a woman and they're like, you know what, you're cute though. So like, I'm interested, I wanna try it. It's like, I'm not really like an ice cream flavor for you to try. There you go. This is not 31 flavors, honey. Right, and there's, there's ways to go about it where that can be fun and flirty sometimes. Like, if you're genuinely vulnerable and you're like, listen, I've never done this before, but I find you attractive, like, I'd really like to give it a go, that's one thing. But there are people who are very point blank and in a way that, as a trans person, you have to be careful. Like, you just have to be careful with who you're letting into your space because there's a lot of violence against trans people. Oh yeah. I think trans men fly a little bit more under the radar as far as the violence goes. Like there's still statistics, there's still issues like Tony McDade was a huge part of the Black Lives Matter movement in the sense that his murder was broadcasted and he was a trans uh, black trans man who was killed. He was person who we actually heard about but it's not that often that you hear about trans guys um, experiencing murder not at the rate that you hear about trans women experiencing murder like trans women are experiencing murder so quickly that we have almost become desensitized to it like you hear about a trans woman being murdered and all of a sudden everyone's like oh again and it's mm -hmm. like again what do you mean again this shouldn't, this shouldn't be a pattern. And also the fact that I can log on to Twitter and find a thread of people defending the killing of trans women because a man discovers that he's making out with a trans woman or discovers a woman is trans who he's already attracted to. Which, by the way, it's often that these guys, like, 
like you're already attracted to trans women like there might be a pattern there it's okay but there's a fear of what it means about you and the thing is it doesn't mean anything about you it means you found a person attractive and if you're not down for it say i'm sorry i don't think i'm up for this i'm gonna go that's fine you don't have to kill someone over it right because you think that they're going to tarnish your sense of self or whatever that might be yeah so that's a huge issue is i've also seen like some of the language surrounding trans women on Grindr be problematic. Like there are men who will specifically in their profile say some really transphobic stuff about trans women. And also like calling people trannies is really not cool. Like it's outdated. Yeah. And we have so much more language now that if a trans person wants to call themselves a tranny, fine. That's, that's okay. That's their choice. However, in general, most trans people don't want to be called trannies. There's, there's a history with the word that is negative and violent. Right. And there's a lot of like that kind of usage on Grindr that I'll see. And that's, those are the ways in which I, I see transphobia manifesting in the queer community. But when you aren't looking at the person and you're only interested in what's under their clothes in like a way that is more possessive or like whatever it might be not not so much not so much you are genuinely attracted to everything about them that's when it becomes more of an issue right yeah it's it's complicated and there's a lot of different avenues for that so th i know that question is sort of it's a really good one and that's one that we could have an entire episode about mm. oh yeah well i i talked to some, one of my other guests about the infighting within the the queer community and how uh, I think I think it was my brother and he asked if if there was ever going to be if there was always going to be inclusion and I said it was going to be difficult for us to always find inclusion because there is a lot of infighting but I, I do hope what with and, and I mean the coronavirus has been a terrible thing it has also been it has been helpful to a lot of people to uh, really realize what is important in life and maybe to not restrict yourself so much on what you're labeling something or um, maybe checking in with yourself and, and seeing why something bothers you and letting go of maybe fear or uh, misunderstanding. So there, the, the tide is turning, I, I, I would like to hope, and it's, we've got a long way to go, but the fact that people are more vocal more visible, I think, is helping everyone to see that, like you said, trans people have been around forever. I mean, they've they've been in culture from the very beginning. So it's not going anywhere when we all just need to just open our minds and not not be so so heterocentric and just be open to it. I think there's a huge commonality between all human beings in the sense that like you see homophobes you know uh reacting to gay people who aren't who might not even be interacting with them just walking down the street with fear or with animosity what have you that has nothing to do with with the gay people there's something going on in that person that is causing a reaction I think it's the same thing in general when people are transphobic. Like, it's, like, 
Transphobia is totally possible among all groups because just because you're queer, uh, bi, pan, gay, lesbian, whatever, what have you, you doesn't mean you are immune to also being transphobic because if it's something you don't understand or that causes a fear response in you, that is like a natural human thing that you do have to work through. And so I think like that it's not so different from when homophobes react to gay people because it's like it's an internal struggle to for understanding to make sense of it and sometimes if people feel they can't make sense of it that's when they have a really hard time with it mm. so i think honestly like in the same way that we start to understand other groups through exposure through commingling through hearing different stories through representation in the media i mean just euphoria itself uh it has done a bit for bringing up like different issues surrounding transness same with pose um i mean pose more so than euphoria i i feel bad that i said euphoria first because pose pose has really put in the work to start to represent trans women i th i think they should listen to their actors more i think there has been some struggle there about the ways in which the characters are represented but they have real trans people playing those roles rather than dressing up cis actors to be trans and that's a huge step forward and it's going to start to normalize the presence of trans people with the knowledge that they're trans in our lives rather than us being around trans people and not knowing that they're there. Yeah. What do you think about trans representation in the media? Do you think there's uh, there's a need for more or do you think that there is a need for a specific uh, type of trans representation? What are your thoughts? I think subtlety and necessarily in the sense that like they shouldn't be everywhere. I think what I mean by that is like subtlety can be really effective. So when I drive down different streets in Los Angeles, there's a, an underwear company that I really like. They make amazing underwear. They're called MeUndies. Very flexible, very breathable. Mm -hmm. They have these billboards that are up and it says nothing about transness, but there's a couple on the billboard and one of the people has his shirt off and very clearly has had top surgery. And you wouldn't even know it unless you're looking and like you look closely, but I caught it because obviously I'm always like catching when trans people are around. Mm -hmm. And I was like, see, that's effective because it normalizes seeing a trans body mm. on a billboard, but it's not like plastering, like look at us representing trans people right. or like look at what we're doing for the trans community. It just shows a trans body without, without strings attached. Things like that, I definitely think having those stories interwoven into shows and media is important. I, I can't even imagine the difference it would have made for me as a kid or a teenager being able to see trans characters in a show that I can watch. Mm -hmm. Things might have clicked earlier, honestly, if I was like watching it in my dad's flannel and my brother's jeans, like <laughs> things might have made a little bit more sense. I think it's imperative though that trans, just like, just like black people should be involved in black representation in the media and their voices should be the ones writing the voices for black characters. So there's authentic authenticity there and like genuine cultural knowledge behind representation 
same thing for trans people. I think trans people need to be involved in the creation and representation of transness in media because like I said there's no one way to be trans and currently the way that it's often represented is like that that straight pathway like you know as a kid and then you're androgynous or you're uh, or you're like showing signs of it throughout adolescent and then you come out as an adult that's not the same thing for everybody and I think having those nuances represented as well and written into shows that cis people are never going to understand yeah I think the reason I bring up Euphoria a lot is specifically not for the show itself, but the one episode that was released recently, Jules' episode, is it takes place like in her therapist's office for the most part, and her talking about her own identity of transness, and she mentions she might want to go off her hormones, and that she thinks of herself as really broad and big like the sea, and not small and delicate like she appears, and it doesn't. it's not that she wants to be a man, but she doesn't want to be completely a woman either she wants to be somewhere in between that but her character is still technically a trans girl and I think those thought processes are things that a cis writer is never going to write because mm -hmm. she wrote that episode it was really special for me because I've also had a really hard time with only being perceived as a man mm -hmm. like in the world not necessarily that I don't like the way I'm interacted with, but the fact that like men will say small misogynistic comments off to the side to me thinking like I'm with, with the shits and I'm just not. And I obviously I shut them down and I'm considering the fact that I'm like, I am seen many times as a binary trans guy. And a lot of times cis people don't even know I'm trans until I tell them. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard because I did live as a really feminine woman for so long that I still have that duality in me. I still have a lot of those experiences and knowledge. And there's still this binary treatment that like, no, I'm not being treated like a cis woman anymore, but I'm being treated like a cis man. And I don't always know that script either mm. going back to what i was saying earlier about not knowing scripts in girl world like sometimes i don't always know the scripts in guy world either like i'm still very much in between and that's where i'm comfortable so having those kinds of stories and nuances in different characters in the media and representation in art film music uh politics like all of that is important to i don't want to say normalize but to generate understanding without question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is what are things that cisgendered people like myself can do to be of service to the trans community? Hmm. I'll say like a big one that comes to mind. It comes from an experience I had a few weeks ago. There's someone at my school who has been playing with gender lately and they will occasionally like wear a wig and heels and a skirt and they look so cute but there's some guys at the school who are cis and I heard them referring to this person as it like repeatedly and trying to take pictures with them like without their knowledge and it really bothered me because again going back to like how people don't know I'm trans they were doing all of this in front of me not knowing I'm trans not knowing I would be pissed about something like that mm -hmm. in that environment for me to defend anybody as a trans person is 
kind of dangerous because I share a bathroom with these boys and they already are suspicious of me because I'm smaller and kind of flamboyant and they have some opinions. So in this situation, I had to walk away, but I didn't want to leave it. And so I messaged my cis friends who were sitting in that group of people talking and I texted them and I was like, you got to say something. I was like, you have to say something. They are on the verge of harassing this person and they're calling them it, which is dehumanizing. And as my friends, like, I really need you to say something because I can't for my own safety. And that is a huge thing that cis people can do. You need to say something when someone's being transphobic. You don't have to be lecturing, but don't feed into it and don't entertain ignorance either. And it's understanding, like, hitting up Google maybe instead of asking your trans friend like what is involved in trans medical surgery like if you're that curious mm -hmm. you have the internet at your fingertips please use it to your advantage if there's a question that you really can't find an answer to you can talk to a trans person always take everything with a grain of salt as well just like you would if you're researching things for an essay like don't believe everything you read check your sources also try to avoid putting your own perception of somebody onto them hmm. so what i mean by that is like for my own family um and like I won't call anyone out in my family, but there's a difficulty of accepting the fact that I'm trans because of how I've looked and behaved all my life. Yeah. And sometimes I get so frustrated because I'm like, how can you not realize I have always been the exact same way? The only thing that's changed about me is the way I dress and my voice and the fact that I adopted a nickname I had. Like, I... And I know this is actually something that I think we're going to get into, but I had, I added a name to my legal name rather than subtracting one of my legal names and replacing it with a name. Mm. Like, I'm late for everything, as you, as you may have realized. <laughs> that phrase, Ready Freddy, is something that my last partner used with me all the time. And it was like, Ready Freddy? Blah, blah, blah. Got so tired of saying that, they started saying, Fred, Freddy like being frustrated with me and I began responding to it so that's how I got Freddie because um, I just took it and ran with it and also when I worked as a broker it was hard for um, people to understand me over the phone when I said my legal name which is Maeve so I really liked the sound of Freddie Maeve together so I just decided to make it Freddie Maeve Harton to go back to what I was saying I I'm not that different from the person I've always been. And that's how most trans people are. It's like there's really not that much of a difference. So always putting your perception of somebody onto them and assuming that you know them better than they know themselves is harmful. And it's going to hurt your relationship with a trans person. Right. You kind of talked about this, but um, something that when I was doing my research, something about I, uh, I was looking up about uh, dead naming. And what can you... Uh, explain sort of what that is, what that means. Mm -hmm. A lot of 
trans people um, consider their birth name uh, to be something they don't identify with, ultimately because a lot of names are super gendered. So they will, they will get rid of it. They'll they'll renounce their birth name um, as something they don't want to be associated with. Some people will like use a shortened version of their birth name that's more androgynous that they like a lot better, and that's their new name. Some people will choose an entirely new name and go through. Some people go through a few different names to find what works. Some people are like me and they use something that they've been called already that works for them. However, there's a lot of feelings tied to a birth name. Like, for example, you can think of just the fact that this person, you know, they've been called this name whenever they got in trouble, like from the time they were a kid. There's a lot of times people who will, in a trans person's life, will use that name in excess after a trans person comes out and sometimes as a way to make that trans person feel bad if they've asked to be using a different name some people will overuse their birth name in order to make the trans person uncomfortable or to communicate that they aren't taking the transition seriously like that that person doesn't accept that the trans person is transitioning right so there's a lot of weight that comes with that and it can be painful for trans people to hear their dead name if I don't know I guess like the best way to describe it to cis people is kind of like if someone always brought up your ex to you whenever you're hanging out like if your friends or your family always talked about your ex who you had like a shitty breakup with it's the same kind of feeling you're like can we just not like can we just stop talking about that it feels that way you're just like you know, you have an option to call me something that you know I'm going to feel good about that really doesn't make that much of a difference to you. Yeah. And you are consciously making the choice to disrupt what could be peaceful. Right. <laughs> so it feels violent. I'm lucky that, like, I don't hate my birth name. It just didn't feel quite right. And I've even had people say to me, like, that, that name doesn't really fit you. It's a nice name, but it doesn't really fit you. But I still like to have it around, so I use Freddie Maeve. And I don't mind so much if people make the mistake and call me Maeve. I got called Mavis a lot, so that's fine too. <laughs> but I introduce myself as Freddie, and my nieces actually call me D, like D-E-E, -E, which was derived from Auntie when the oldest was very little. But it works out because it's the end of Freddie as well. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so it's sweet. And like I think it just kind of fell into place for me but some people like like choosing a new name can be like moving to a new city like it's a new start and if you got sent back to the city that you lived in over and over and over again you'd be real sick of it like you're tired so having that fresh start and being able to engage in that and then have it respected is really important to a lot of trans people and dead naming using the person's birth name without their consent, all that is just, you're gonna diminish trust. Like you're, you're communicating to them a basic lack of respect for how they feel and who they are. Right. And they might not always fight you on it, but you might notice that you lose connection with them. Like trans people are tired. <laughs> We're tired. We don't wanna have to explain ourselves all the time. And, and I, by that I mean like daily. If People were always asking me, I'd be like, oh, come on. I enjoy things like this, though, where I get to talk more in depth and, like, in a thoughtful way. Ultimately, it makes 
way more of an impact and difference for the trans person than it will ever make an inconvenience on you to just call them right. what they want to be called. That's the best way to explain dead naming, at least on my end. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, Freddie, we're getting to the end of our time together here. I know, don't be sad. It's okay. I'm holding back tears. I know, it's okay. Um, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guest, is there a queer person that has influenced your life in any type of way? You can be maybe the first queer person you ever met or just someone that was impactful in your life. Is there anyone that is filling that description for you? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I know it's hard to narrow it down to just one. I'm trying to decide if I want to do like an icon or someone who I looked up to as a queer person or like a personal one. Honestly, I would, I'm going to go personal. I don't really talk to this person anymore just because life has evolved, but he was um, someone who helped out with the musicals when I was in middle school. And he was the first openly gay adult that I knew. And I think he saw me for who I was as a tiny teen without me even knowing it. Because he would like, Glee was really popular at the time. And his, his name is Lex, Lexer. And, um, and he would like talk about the show with me and we'd laugh about a lot of like the humor surrounding queerness that he thought was funny mm-hmm. you know there were some questionable jokes in glee but there were a few good ones there was one that was like Gol- dolphins are just gay sharks and i remember that one specifically mm-hmm. and i remember him telling me that and yeah like seeing him with a husband or uh, that's what he called him but obviously gay marriage wasn't legal at the time mm-hmm. and being able to experience like an adult who's openly queer and like engaged with the world in a way that I saw as normal and not about him being gay but just like him being a positive influence in people's lives yeah it was it was really cool to experience that at that age and I would say he's like a huge influence in the fact that he was the first openly queer adult that I really knew um, personally. Well, wonderful. Lex, we love you. <laughs> uh, Freddie, where can everybody find you if they want to follow you? You can find me a few different places. I'm not going to recommend my Twitter because it's just a bunch of shower thoughts that nobody wants to read. Um, Fair enough. I will recommend my two Instagrams. I have my personal one, which is Freddie Mave. That's F-R-E-D-D-I-E-M-A-E-V-E. And then there's my hair page, because like I said, I'm in school to be a hairstylist and a barber. Yes. And that's uh, Fringe by Freddy. So I won't spell that for you. I'm sure you can figure it out. But it's Fringe by Freddy. I'll put it in the show notes so they don't have to spell it. Yeah, perfect. I mean, spelling is overrated. I wanted to say thank you again for having me and letting me talk at you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really am. Sorry it was short notice, but I really... I'm glad that you were able to come on and, and school us on on some things that we might not have known about. And pop my podcast cherry. Ooh, how was it? Was it good for you? Oh, it was good for me. I hope it was good for you, too. Make sure to text me in two days. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally do that. <laughs> Freddie, any last words? Any last words? 
I mean, I have a book of last words right next to me, but I won't read you any of that. Freddie, we want your last words, not some various unknown author. Not any dead people's last words? No, I don't have any last words. Just another thank you, and that I hope everyone is being safe and, you know, enjoying all the podcasts. Absolutely. I look forward to coming here again and getting to talk to you. We're doing it. I'll pencil you in. Perfect. I'll get my calendar. (laughs) Go forth and be gay, everyone. (laughs) 